Reading is from chapter 4 of Esther. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to be put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathor, one of the king's eunuchs, and assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hatok went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and to explain it to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hatok went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to them and spare their lives. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he went back. He sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to the royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm just going to pray for Matt as he speaks to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Matt. We thank you for the words that you placed into his heart. We thank you for the day that he gave his life to you and for all the ways in which he's flourished since. We pray that you'd speak to us all through these words of Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks very much, Anita, for the prayers. Thank you, uh, Lucy Burton, Anita, for the drama. Um, it's probably the most PG retelling of the story of Esther I've ever seen, probably one of the most comical as well. Um, thank you very much for that. Uh, let's dive straight into the text. I'm going to dive in at verse 9, uh, just to recap on what we heard earlier on. 
So Mordecai is mourning. He's heard that the Jews are going to be annihilated. Um, and uh, he basically tries to send a message to Esther through this middleman, Hathak, um, that she should go and appeal to the king to get this law reversed. And where we uh, dive in, at verse 9, we're going to see what Esther's response is. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courts without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and to spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So we find out here that there's a complication to Esther, the queen, simply asking for the king Xerxes to to reverse the law. Basically, for anyone to go into the inner court of the king, to kind of knock on the king's office door, if you like, they'd be put to death, unless the king was really, really pleased with them, unless the king accepted them in. And what we see from Esther's response is she's not seen the king in over a month. It's not the best marriage. Um, So, actually, for Esther to go to the king was basically a foregone conclusion uh, that she would die. And if you read on in the story, uh, you can see what happens there. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but you've come to a royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I'll go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. It's bold courageous, prayerful faith in action. Esther knew she could die. She knew there was a cost. But she stepped out boldly in line with the purposes of God for her time and situation. We have purposes for our lives today. We have purposes that God has for us. It may not be to prevent a genocide, but the Bible tells us that God has things he wants for us to do. Isaiah 43 tells us that all of us were made to glorify God. The reason we are alive, the reason we have breath, is to give God glory. Jesus' final command to his followers was to go and make disciples of every nation. Our purpose as the church is to make disciples. And actually, if you look at Esther's story, you can see parallels between her mission for her time and our mission now. Esther was raised up into her royal position to speak for God at a crucial time in the history of her people. 1 Peter says that we have been called into a royal priesthood to declare the praises of God, to speak for him. Esther, which literally means star, was placed in her position so that her actions, her boldness, her stepping out, could influence the culture around her, could shape that culture. Philippians 2 tells us that we have been called to shine like stars 
among those who don't know God by our actions so that we can shape the culture around us, shape our workplaces, our families, our friendship groups. That can be hard. We see that in the story of Esther. For her to do that would have had a cost and she would have been afraid. I remember the first time uh, back in my first year I invited some non-Christian friends to a CU event. Um, My mate said no. Um, But I remember how nervous I was. It's the closest thing I've found to asking someone out. It was like that feeling of, oh no, what if they say no? I'm putting myself out here. And as time went on, um, fortunately, I I got other opportunities, and eventually my friends said yes, and they started coming to see events. I've not seen the fruit of that yet. I don't know what the fruit will be. But I trust that God had a purpose, even though that stepping out was hard. The writer, Neil James Hollingworth, says that courage is not the absence of fear, but the judgment that something else is more important than fear. My main challenge to us as a church this morning is do we step out boldly in order to glorify God? Do we step out boldly to make disciples, even when there could be a cost? Or do we let fear dominate us and stop us from doing that? Let's just pray for a second. I'm going to sort of pray intermittently in this sermon and just be open to allow God to speak to you. Are there situations in your life where God is asking you to overcome your fear and step out boldly and glorify him? Let's just pray for a few seconds. God, I pray you'd come and speak to us now and you would convict us of areas where we need to show boldness. And Holy Spirit, I pray that as these areas are brought to mind, you would impart the gift of faith and you would enable us to step out boldly and to change these situations and to act in line with your purposes. Amen. Now maybe we don't feel in that place this morning. Maybe there are situations going on in your life that make it hard for you to even think about stepping out in faith. Maybe just taking a step, keeping walking is hard enough, let alone making disciples, let alone glorifying God. Maybe that's just not on your radar. I know that for me, um, as I've had various struggles during my time at uni, the desire to sort of reach out to others has has become harder. Uh, It's become sort of something on the back burner rather than something at the forefront of my mind. Maybe there's a job that you're doing that you feel is overtly to glorify God. Maybe it's a church ministry. Um, Maybe it's a project within a secular workplace that is in line with God's purposes. And, And you just feel like that effort is being squashed. You're not able to keep doing that job. There are things blocking you. Maybe, and this has been my experience recently, there are those you really love those you really care about and you've been praying them for, for years, praying for them for years to come to know Jesus. You've been taking every opportunity you get and you can just see them stepping further and further away from relationship with God. 
should have checked uh, the staging before I preached. Um, yeah, you can see them stepping further away from a relationship with God. And that can be hard. It can be hard to keep stepping out boldly and witnessing in such a situation. Now, I don't know what your situations are this morning. I don't know what pain is in your life. But let me speak from God's words. And let's allow that to speak to us. The Jewish people at this time, it was around 480 BC uh, when the story of Esther took place. I've been waiting for a Messiah waiting for a Messiah for years. About 300 years earlier, Isaiah had prophesied, and then maybe 100 years later, Jeremiah. So they've been waiting for some time for this Messiah to come, and he's not come yet. During that time, they had been conquered and exiled by the Babylonians. Some of them had been allowed back to Jerusalem, but they were still living under Babylonian rule. And then the next world power, the Persian Empire, come in and conquer them. So they've been conquered and suppressed by two empires consecutively and forced out of their own land. Let's think about the individuals in the story. Mordecai is in sackcloth and ashes. He's mourning over the edicts that's been passed. Esther, she's married to a drunken pushover king who probably doesn't love her. She probably doesn't love him. And on top of all of this, there's this edict that all the Jews will be killed. Their people group is about to be wiped out, and with it, the promised Messiah. All those prophecies are about to come to an end. It's not a great time to be a Jew. It's not a great time to step out boldly, is it? Courage and God's purposes would probably have been on the back burner in Esther's mind, rather than at the forefront. I think if we're meant to see anything about God from the story of Esther, a story where he's not even mentioned by name, is that even when God seems absent, even when you're wondering, what are you doing in my life, God? What are you doing in this situation? God never goes anywhere. He never leaves. Whatever suffering you're going through, God is very present with you in that suffering. Whatever purposes you're trying to establish through the work you're doing, God is working with you if it's his will. And he's working all things for your good. Whatever barriers you see going up in the lives of those you love, God's able to overcome those in a second. And if you read on to the end of the story of Esther, you'll see the way in which God overcomes the odds again and again and again. And things change radically for the Jews very, very quickly. Let's just pray once more. God, I pray that you would come and speak to us now in this moment and encourage us that you're present with us in our situation. And that against all odds, you're working for us. Yes, thank you, Lord God, that you are never absent and that you never go anywhere. So, we've seen Esther's courage. 
We've seen Esther act boldly, take her life in her hands, step out. But there's another part of the story that we need to consider, and if we don't consider it, we we get a false impression of what it means to be courageous. And that's God's sovereignty. Maybe you're wondering where I've got this from in the text. It's a good question. Let's look back at verses 12 through 14, and I'll just unpack these briefly. Before that, in verse 11, we see that Esther's really reluctant to go to the king and to appeal for her people, which is understandable because she's probably about to walk to her death. So it's reasonable for her to challenge Mordecai. But Mordecai's response is designed to stir faith in Esther and to remind her of God's sovereignty. Verse 13. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. The first time I read this verse, I thought, Mordecai's trying to scare Esther into acting, isn't he? There's scare tactics going on here. But a closer look, I think there's something more going on. What Mordecai is saying is, there are consequences to your inaction. There are bad consequences for you, and there are bad consequences for everyone. Elsewhere in the Bible, in the book of James, uh, it says that whoever knows what they ought to do, but doesn't do it, it's sin for them. Whoever knows the good they ought to do, but does not do it, it's sin for them. Inaction can be sinful. It can be not pleasing to God. John F. Kennedy once said that evil prospers when good men do nothing. And I think this is a biblical example of that principle. Bad things happen when the people of God don't act out their faith, when we don't step out courageously for God in our culture, in our families, in our places of influence. Verse 13. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. Verse 14. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance from Jews will arise from another place. It's amazing to me that in the midst of a genocide, Mordecai has not lost faith in the promised Messiah. He still believes that God is going to fulfill those promises and is going to bring someone to save his people. And what he's saying here is, Esther, do you want to be part of what God has already promised he's going to do? We have exactly the same situation today. We have promises in the Bible that God is bringing his kingdom in, and that he's redeeming this world. Uh, When I was in Uganda recently, I read a commentary on the book of Revelation, a very simple commentary. Um, And I was just amazed by, even though the church goes through so much tribulation, even though we're in that time now and we will be in the future, God is always on the throne, he's always in control, and his promises are certain to redeem this world. Do we get on board with the certain promises of God? Or do we remain silent out of fear? Back end of verse 14. And who knows, but that you've come to royal position for such a time as this. This is the um, pivot of the book of Esther. It's, It's the one everyone preaches on. Most people view this as the main moment. It's where we find out that God has raised up Esther to her position as queen 
this orphan Jewish girl so that she can act for his purposes at a crucial time in the history of the Jewish people. It's easy to think, isn't it, that in the Bible God raises up these amazing men and women to act for him. It's easy to look back through history and see amazing Christians, wow, God raised you up for such a time as that. And to forget that God has also raised us up for such a time as this. Acts 17 tells us that God marked out our appointed times in history and the boundaries of our lands. God did this so that we would seek him and that people would perhaps reach out for him and find him though he's not far from any one of us. It's no accident that we're living in 2018 in the UK. It's no accident we're in the families we're in. It's no accident we have the friends we have. God designed it so that people would see him and would reach out for him and would maybe find him. And what this tells us is that none of us are plan B. All of us are God's plan A. It's not like there's this project for social action and, oh God, why didn't you just delay William Wimbleforce by a couple of hundred years and he could have done it? No, God wants his church to change this country. It's not like you're witnessing to your family and friends and you're thinking, oh God, why didn't you raise up Francis Schaeffer or Ravi Zacharias or some amazing apologist? God wants you. He wants to use your testimony. None of us are plan B. Let's end by praying. Father God, I ask that in this room you would bring the conviction that none of us are plan B for our friends, for our situation. Even where it's hard, even where there's pain and there's suffering. You've planned for us to be there, to courageously act out our faith, to courageously speak for you, and to bring your kingdom, even in just little ways. Help us not to be silent out of a position of fear. Help us to see that, just like Esther, you've planned for us to be here at such a time as this. If there are particular situations, maybe, in which you're finding that hard to believe, I just encourage you to bring that to God right now. Thank you, God, that nothing is impossible for you. You worked in the midst of a genocide for the benefit of your people and for the glory of your son. I pray that you'd also work for our benefit and for your glory. Thank you that you will do that. Help us to leave this place with a confidence that you'll do that in our lives. Amen.